My friend, what are you? Are you a celestial being or a god? No, said the Buddha. Well, then, are you some kind of magician or wizard? Again, the Buddha answered, no. Are you a man? No. Well, my friend, then, what are you? The Buddha replied, I am awake. Loving God, may we awaken too. Amen. A little over 16 years ago, I spent some time on the Eastern Cape of South Africa. Just a few months before I began my ordained life, this time overseas was something of an ecclesiastical finishing school so that the Church of England could double-check that this wayward ordinand hadn't got thus far due to some sort of clerical error. So off I went with what seems now a rather ludicrous academic brief to study the Anglican Church of Southern Africa's response to HIV-AIDS and to share what I'd found. AIDS ravaged that part of the world at the turn of the century and tragically still does with two-thirds of the world's 37 million HIV-infected people today living in East and Southern Africa. The HIV infection rate in the shanty settlement I worked each day was as high as 80% by some estimates. It was probably hard to know. Those who lived with the disease led doubly hidden lives. The shanty itself was built on the city's former trash dump beyond the site of local shoppers. Within the settlement, to be an HIV-positive household was considered a source of shame. As a consequence, all sorts of other stories, but the truth, persisted. AIDS in South Africa was a public health crisis that weaved its way between indigenous religious beliefs that presumed that HIV-positive individuals must have done something to offend their ancestors, and Christian preachers who made the case that AIDS was divine punishment for sinful sexual practices. Millions suffered with no sustainable health care available, often left to die in the dark silence of their barely livable homes. I can still recall the swift dose of reality that came my way when I finally did share what I had learned at a presentation I'd been invited to make at a clergy gathering. Following my talk, a local priest asked the assembled group where hope was to be found while he officiated at 20 or more funerals of AIDS victims a week. All of my naive presumption that I might have anything of value to say evaporated. If I'd been looking for a finishing school for the priesthood, I'd found it, no doubt. The lesson was clear. Either what we have to say about God in public is of consequence for the world and the lives we live in it, or we had better keep it to ourselves. Perhaps you can recall similar experiences of ineptitude, of not quite knowing what to say of the faith you hold dear in the face of human suffering and loss. 
during Atlanta's AIDS crisis in the 1980s and the early 90s, when over 60 parishioners of this church died of the disease. Today, such statistics mark a chapter in the history of this parish. Then, those statistics were people who were known and well-beloved and named. Mark, Steve, Perry, Vernon, Craig. And each of those recorded in our register of burials listed simply as known to God. Names that joined those on two quilted panels of the memorial quilt presently adorning our chapel. Today, on this World AIDS Day, I invite us to give thanks for these saints of God and for the ministry of remarkable love and grace that this parish offered during the height of the AIDS crisis in this city. We should remember them. We should tell their stories. And the story of this church's persistent struggle to love and its refusal to be governed by fear. We should remind one another of the decision made to host funerals here when other churches would not. Of a parish that awakened the light of Christ that shone in the lives of those dying among them. Of course, stories require storytellers. Mine has been Bruce Garner. It has been my privilege to listen and to learn from him. Much as he helped to bring the memorial quilt to be with us today in those years gone by, by keeping a record of God's beloved children who were lost in this church and to this city, Bruce has enabled us to remember, lest we forget the roads we have traveled and the lessons it still has to teach us. And there is much that we might be taught isn't there? For truth be told, much as those shanty dwellers in South Africa lived in imposed hiddenness and isolation, so too did those who, although loved and accepted here in this place, were not welcome even in their own homes by their own families because of who God made them to be. So the AIDS crisis revealed yet another dimension of the pernicious resilience of bigotry in our lives, weaving its way from slavery to Jim Crow to homophobia. Furthermore, we should note that today of the 10 metropolitans with the highest incidence of AIDS in this country, all are in the American South, with infection rates in parts of this region equivalent to those of sub-Saharan Africa. AIDS is not a part of our history that our theology needs to reckon with. It is a part of our present-day struggle as baptized Christians as we strive for peace and justice for all God's people. Indeed, we might ask what our theology has to say over the absence of peace and justice across so many shadowlands of sin in our midst today. What of the fact that according to the CDC, there are over 100 gun deaths in America every day. Or of the reality that if a child grows up in Fulton County, 
as opposed to Gwinnett, that child is eight times more likely to be a victim of a gun crime. What do we have to say as followers of Jesus that in America today, the likelihood of incarceration is six times more for a man of color than it is for a white man? And what does our faith say of the moral universe's long arc of justice that even a full 55 years since the signing of the Civil Rights Act and seven decades of forensic analysis of the Holocaust, racist rhetoric still persists in America? And Jews remain predominant victims, the predominant victims of hate crimes in the country today. Well, I for one can say this. Thank God for Advent. Not to offer some sort of religious panacea, the promise of Jesus who will cure all the ills of the world so we don't have to but as an opportunity to get the world more clearly in focus. Advent is not a long introduction to a hallmark card nativity scene with a docile Christ child in the manger, meek and mild. Advent is the church's antidote to religious banality and pat theological responses to truly troubling social realities. With its apocalyptic visions of the coming of the Son of Man, Advent offers a prescribed dose of smelling salts for the faithful. In those beautiful words from Romans, the message of Advent is clear. It is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. Wake up. The church's year cries out to us, not because we haven't been striving for a better world, but because waking is a lifelong process the slow birth of God's grace and love into a world that would rather stay asleep to truth and remain passive about injustice. Yet we don't merely wake. We begin to see. Our eyes opened, we noticed that the world we had thought we knew is not the world that God intends for us to live in. Swords into plowshares, and spears into pruning hooks, says Isaiah. Advent is an opening for us to overturn our expectations of and for the world. It is a season of holy curiosity that begs us to ask what else we have yet to uncover about the nature of the world we share. And so I wonder... What new learning is your life calling you to? What new action are you being led to offer to a world so much in need of your love and faithfulness? Challenging questions if you take them to heart, yet not ones to be answered alone. We need the church in our lives because we need other people to help us live at the kind of depth God intends for us to find ourselves at. We need people around us who might feel the freedom to prod us a little, to provoke us into increasingly unsettled Christian lives, ill at ease with the world that is ill at ease with itself. And so, dear saints of God, 
support one another in troubling the waters this Advent. Keep one another awake. Encourage one another to look out of the world with eyes wide open for the dawn of God's grace. Dwell with one another and within the light of God's promise, determined and steadfast in the hope that the gospel proclaims, the day is near. Love, the guest, is on the way, coming to set us all free.